Hey there, this is John Metter. Welcome to the Man to Man podcast. Men everywhere need to be talking to other men of experience and wisdom. Along with my friends, we'll be talking about how to grow as a man, how to find truth to stand on, how to meet the challenges of the day. Join me as we discuss everything from personal growth to fitness, from relationships to leadership. Let's talk man to man. Welcome to Man to Man, and uh, you're listening to the podcast that we do at the end of each of our sessions of Man to Man. Uh, Man to Man is a ministry where uh, we meet with our men at Cross City Church, and uh, we meet very early on Tuesday mornings at 6 a.m., and we uh, work through a short text of the scripture and spend a lot of time talking man to man about key issues of our day. And uh, the further we go along in the man to man series, the more detailed, the more intimate the conversations in the sense of uh, sensitive conversations. But uh, we began with 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 13 and 14. And, and those verses uh, are verses written towards a group of people that uh, Paul is encouraging to kind of become strong and and start living like they're supposed to be living. And uh, here are the verses. As, as I read these two verses, you'll kind of get a gist of the whole outline of our man-to-man podcast and our episodes in this particular season. So the verses say this. They say, be on the alert, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong, let all that you do be done in love. So if you are thinking through that, or if you were looking at that in your in your Bible, you would see that as five different things. First of all, be alert. And we spent a couple of weeks talking about what it meant to be alert in our own personal life and for those around us. The second part of that says stand strong in the faith. So we talked about standing in our last episode, what it means to stand firm in life and what it means to stand firm against all kinds of adversity. But the second part of that, and what we're talking about today, is stand firm in the faith, in the faith. There's a definite article. The word the is in front of faith, and so it, it's not just your faith in general, not just your general faith in God. I know there's a God. I know he's powerful and at work all around me. Uh, it's not just faith. It's the faith. Uh, and when we talk about the faith regarding Scripture, we talk about the faith delivered once for all, to the saints. We read that in the book of Jude. So uh, the faith is what I'm going to talk about today. It's really important for men to know where they stand in regard to their salvation and where they stand in regard to the faith that is the historic faith delivered uh, once for all uh, by Jesus Christ. So we're going to talk about that today. I'm going to read a longer text of scripture to you, uh, but it's in Ephesians chapter 2. And the first 10 verses, anybody that knows me knows that this is one of my favorite sections of Scripture because it's in this passage that all six of what I consider the key components of the faith, the key components of salvation or the gospel, they're all embedded in Ephesians chapter 2, the first 10 verses. So bear with me as I read through 10 verses, and I try to read it in such a way where you kind of pick up some things as we read through them, and then I'll explain uh, what I call a gospel acrostic. We're going to spell out the gospel, G-O-S-P-E-L, with six key characteristics that every man needs to be able to stand firm in. You need to know these, uh, not only for your, your own life, but for the faith of those around you. You need to know it for the purpose of defending the faith against those that disagree or don't believe. Uh, you need to know it 
for the purpose of sharing the gospel with people that are far from God and who may want to come to know God, they can come to know God through the gospel that I'm going to share with you today. So here's Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 10. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them we too all formerly lived in the lust of the flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. Now I realize those first three verses are very depressing and uh, very discouraging and very dark. And those verses describe believers before they became believers in Jesus Christ. They describe people who are now saved, but who were formerly something else. And that something else in those first three verses is depraved. And we'll talk about that in a minute. But then in verse 4, the whole thing changes. It says, but God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgression, has made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourself. It's the gift of God, not as a result of work so that no one should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Again, a long passage of Scripture. You do well to read that a few times uh, in your own time and really begin to um, unpack all the truths behind that. But I've done that many times and uh, actually have spent some years training people to share the gospel with this gospel acrostic I'm going to give you out of this text that I've just read to you. And uh, I want you to have it today in the sense of knowing what it means to stand firm in the faith. And at various points as I walk through in this uh, episode, I'll talk about how that sometimes is threatened by um, other things that we hear from culture or from uh, earthly wisdom or from the past or uh, cults or other groups that don't understand the gospel as the Bible describes it. So let me spell gospel to you, okay? We'll start with the letter G. That's the first letter of gospel, which, by the way, in the original language means good news. So it starts with a G, and the G stands for God's character, God's character. And I go directly to the text in Ephesians 2. It says, for but God, it says, but God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. So I'm just going to pause there for a moment. This text, after it talks about how dark we are, how dead we are spiritually, really lights up in verse 4. And this is where the gospel begins. The gospel begins and ends with God. It, ends, it begins with God's initiative. Uh, it ends with God's declaration. It really begins with God. And the gospel is all about God. So it says in verse 4, But God being rich in mercy, and it's describing part of God's character, now, when you want to come to know God, when anyone wants to know God, they need to come to know his personality and his character, not just his power, as important as his power is. Uh, a powerful God can also seem impersonal if we do not know his character. So the first point of this is God's character, and it begins with the mercy of God or the love of God. 
Basically, when Paul describes God's character, he runs out of words. He, he, he stacks one word on top of the other, and he just has all kinds of superlatives about God's personality and God's character. And, and he really begins here in this first verse uh, that I've looked at, verse 4. He's rich in mercy with his great love with which he loved us. So we begin with the love of God. It's amazing that God loves us so much that he doesn't want to punish us for our sin. And he wants us to have a relationship with him. God loves us so much that he initiates an outreach to us and that he became personified. He became God in the flesh in the form of Jesus Christ. So that's one part of God's character that's very, very important to all of us. Uh, It's really important for those of us that were raised in a home when we uh, perceive God as being some sort of a mirror image of our own fathers. And if our own fathers were somehow inadequate, we see that as the character of God. But the character of God is not revealed through our fathers. It is revealed through his own revelation of himself. And here in the New Testament revelation is that God is rich in mercy. So uh, that's a really good news for me. I don't know about you. But it's really good news for me to know that God's rich in mercy because I need mercy. I need forgiveness. I need his loving kindness because I mess up a lot. And I, I have a feeling that you do too. But that's one part of God's character. He loves us, doesn't want to punish us for our sin. But the other side of God's character is revealed in the Old Testament quite plainly. And that is his justice. And his uh, not only his justice, but also his uh, holiness. So it's an incredibly important thing that we look at and think through when we think about God's holiness is juxtapositioned against his incredible mercy and incredible love. We've got this picture of God's character as being two sides of one coin. And here you have the Old Testament picture of God who is just and holy and who says, I will by no means let the guilty go unpunished on the other side. You see the New Testament expression of God through Jesus Christ uh, where we see clearly defined he is rich in mercy. And I want you to see today, those are two sides of the same coin. Those are two different parts of the personality of God. So first of all, you need to know God's character. He's just, he's holy, but he's not only just or holy, he's also loving and merciful and kind. Now keep that fixed in your mind. The O of the gospel is the offense of sin the offense of sin. It says, even when we were dead in our transgressions. Now, we read the first three verses of Ephesians 2, and it sounded pretty bad. You're dead, you're dark, uh, you're depraved, all kinds of bad words. And uh, we reach really are. We're spiritually dead. Uh, all the way back to the Garden of Eden, sin begins to separate man from God. Uh, Romans 3.23 says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That we're spiritually dead to God by choice. Not only were we born in sin, but we also choose to sin day in and day out. And that's offensive to this loving, holy, wooing, relating, merciful God. Now, some of you may be thinking, well, I'm not that bad, am I? I'm not really that depraved, am I? Uh, And the truth is, there is a scale of badness. Not all of us are equally bad, but we're all equally bad off. We all equally offend this God. Uh, I, I was not. When I was six years old and I came to faith in Jesus, I was a, I was a kid that had sin in my life. Uh, I wasn't as bad as the most hardened prisoner uh, on death row. I didn't have that much sin in my life, but I was just as bad off. 
I was just as bad off in the sense that my sin separated me from God. So our offense to God separates us from him forever and ever unless there's a way out. Now, we can't save ourselves, so there must be a way out, and that's the S of the gospel, and that is the sufficiency of Christ. The word sufficiency is not one we use a lot. You use the word sufficient. If, um, if, I, uh, if I knew that you had a need of $1,000 and I gave you $2,000, I would say, is that enough? And you might say, well, that's sufficient. That's more than sufficient. Um, actually, that's double what I really need. But the word sufficiency would work there. Uh, you might even say tongue-in-cheek, uh, he gave me a gift that was fully sufficient. So the idea of the sufficiency of Christ is he does all he needs to do and more than he needs to do in order to pay for the offense of sin. When you look at the life of Christ, you see that he lived a perfect life. And he laid his life down on the cross, and he did that in order to pay for our sin. And that allows the God of heaven to accept the sacrifice of Jesus on our behalf so that we can be completely, totally forgiven. That is a really big deal. When Jesus was on the cross, one of his final words was to tell us die, which means paid in full. In other words, it pleased God. If you read Isaiah 53 through 55, you'll see all kinds of prophecies about Jesus dying on the cross. And part of that is you read that God was fully satisfied. He was pleased to bruise his son, Jesus Christ, so that we might have eternal life. By his sacrifice, we're made whole. So as I talk about this today, clearly I'm talking about the gospel and the sufficiency of Christ is everything. So here's, here's the reality of what this means for you, why you need to stand firm in this. Because the world will tell you, it will tell you that you must have Jesus plus some good works. Religion will tell you, you've got to do all these things in order to be truly acceptable to God. But the Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says that through Jesus Christ, we're given eternal life. And when we put our faith and trust in him, he gives us the gift of eternal life. Jesus said to those who believed in him, truly I say to you, he who believes in me has eternal life. I want you to stand firm in the sufficiency of Christ, the sufficiency to forgive you of sin and give you eternal life, but also the sufficiency of helping you live the life you're called to live. Okay, that brings us to the P. The P of the gospel is personal response. And in personal response, I like to talk about the responsibility you have. In verse 5, and also again in verse 8 and 9, it says, For by grace you have been saved. That's verse 5. And then in verse 8 and 9, it says, For by grace you've been saved through faith, and that's not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. It's not a result of work, so that no one should boast. Now, you know what that means? It means that all you must do is put your faith and trust and confidence in Jesus Christ alone, and he will give you eternal life. And it's not based on your works, it's based on what he did on the cross. For by grace you have been saved through faith. That's really a big deal. So when people ask me to define that any further, I, I say it's like this. Faith in Christ and repentance from sin are one and the same. One act with two results. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 9, there's a great verse that describes the effectiveness of what happened at that particular church in Corinth where people who were idol worshipers and into immorality all of a sudden changed overnight. And Paul is writing them and describing and explaining what happened to them. And here's what he said. Listen carefully. He said, But you turned to God from idols 
to serve the living and true God. Now, that's a very short verse that describes what faith and repentance are. One act, but two results. You turn to God from idols. So that's one act. If I'm facing all the idolatry of the things that I want to pursue to find happiness or love or anything I'm pursuing that thinks that makes me think I will be receiving salvation because I'm pursuing it, if I turn from that to God, then I have one action but two results. I turn my back on the former, and I turn towards God. You turned to God from idols to serve a living and true God. And that's what I tell people they must do in terms of personal response. When someone says, how can I... How can I receive the gift of eternal life? Turn to God from whatever else you trusted in. Turn to God from religion. Turn to God from sex. Turn to God from uh, good works. Turn to God from whatever you trusted in. Because when you turn to God from all that other stuff, you actually repent and you begin to follow God instead of the idolatry of whatever else it was. So that is the personal response. And then there's the E, which is eternal urgency. Verse 7 says, so that in the ages to come, it describes that in the ages to come, God will show his great riches towards us and his great plan for us. So when I talk about the gospel, I get pretty urgent. And the reason I get pretty urgent is because people have to make a decision one way or another about whether to say yes to eternal life through Jesus or not. And if they do not, then if they die without having done that, they will face an eternity in darkness and separation from God. It's called hell. And it's called hell for a good reason. Uh, it's not that God determines that people go to hell. Hell was actually created for Satan and for the fallen angels or the demons. That's where the abyss is. That's where the lake of fire is that Satan will be cast into. You say, well, well how do people go there? People go there by choosing to reject the way of life who is Jesus Christ. When I'm asked the question, how can a good God send people to hell? The answer is, this God does not send people to hell. He gives them a choice. And that choice that they make determines where they go. If you choose to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, eternity is where you're headed. If you choose not to, then hell is where you're headed. And we're all headed that way until we turn to Christ. So that's why we're eternally urgent. This is eternity we're talking about forever and forever and forever. I want you to stand firm in the faith, but I want you to know that you put your faith and trust in Jesus, first of all. And then the L of the gospel is life transformation. Verse 10 is so good. Uh, it says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which, we, which he has prepared beforehand that we should walk in. So it says basically that God has known from the, before the foundation of the world that you would be faced with this opportunity to put your faith in Christ. He has a purpose for you. He has a plan for you from before the foundation of the world. And really, this is the supernatural result of putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Because what happens is your life changes. The Bible says that if any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. All the old things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. So that the purpose for your salvation is that you can become more and more like Jesus Christ. And, and it is also the proof of your salvation that you're growing and that you're having uh, your character changed to be more and more like the character of Jesus. Now, if someone were to ask me, uh, so do we become perfect uh, after we put our faith in Jesus? And the answer is no, you are now complete in his eyes. You are complete in the sense that you have Christ 
that you are living out, working out your salvation day in and day out. You are demonstrating the reality of your faith by your actions based on your faith and trust in him. So life transformation is where you're headed. You want life transformation? You find that with Jesus Christ. So when it comes to standing firm in the faith, G-O-S-P-E-L is designed to help you be able to share it, to remember it. I hope that some of you men will have a chance to have this kind of a conversation with your spouse uh, or a significant person in your life or your parents or your children. Every man needs to have the ability to sit down with his children and say, here's what the good news of the gospel is. Uh, And I want you to know how to receive Christ. Uh, Every one of us needs to know how to defend the faith. Uh, Our faith in the historic faith of the gospel of Jesus Christ, uh, we have to know it to defend it against cults, against false ideas, against wrong lies about God, about ourselves, about salvation, about eternity, about our purpose in life, all those things. So I want you to stand firm in the faith. Men, let me just tell you, the more you know the gospel, the more you know the Jesus that gave you the gospel. And the more you know those two things, the greater your walk with him will be. So I want to encourage you today that as you stand firm in the faith that you know the faith, read Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. Walk through the G-O-S-P-E-L. Write it in the margin of your Bible. Be sure you underline and highlight all those verses because those are verses that are life-transforming for every single one of us and always have been. So I thank you for joining us this time with our episode of Stand Firm and The Faith. Uh, Next week, we'll look at Act Like Men. What does it mean for the Bible to say, Act Like Men in this day and time and culture? Uh, It's hard to find the answer, but it's not hard to find the answer in Scripture. So until next time, this is John Metter. Thank you for joining us.